This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at uctv.tv slash careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and those in career transition bridge to better employment. Welcome to the newest edition of Job One. We're here to help you with your career planning and help you navigate the very complicated transition from school to your first job or from your first job to your second or fourth job to eighth job, whatever it needs. Our guest today is Trevor Blair. Yes, there's a coincidence there or not. My son, Trevor, owns Blair Search Partners. And today we're going to talk about resumes. One of the most important pieces to tee yourself up to get the attention of the HR person like me to get to that all-important interview is the resume. And Trevor's an expert because he's seen, I was going to say hundreds, thousands of resumes. Because you got to get through him first as the headhunter, as we know it, to get to the, to the client. So, Trevor, welcome. It's nice Thank to you. have you here. Thanks little father-son team here. <laughs> Absolutely. There's probably three things that are really most important in a resume. So give us some examples of what to do and what not to do. Sure. Because we learn from that. To, to set the, the scene here, these three things are just as applicable to someone coming right out of undergrad or an experienced executive or someone who's mid-career. The same principles apply no matter where you are, your first job, your last job. Um, it's the same stuff that makes for an effective resume. Whether you're 18 or 68, yep. the resume issues are the same. Yep. And so we see on average for each position that we recruit three to 500 resumes per position. So we're running anywhere between five to 10 searches at a time. So to your earlier point, we see thousands upon thousands of resumes every year. Which, number one, gives the viewer the point how competitive it is for every job. And unemployment right now in San Diego continues at 2.9%. It has not been this low in 17 years. So you'd think employers are just... Nobody's responding to any job. I don't need to hassle myself on my resume because they need me more than Mm. I need them. Mm. That's not true. Definitely not. Definitely not. And and it's a pyramid, right? As you become more senior in your career, those higher level jobs are fewer and fewer. And so even though we're in a sub 3% unemployment environment, executives are still, the top executives are still probably three to six months between jobs because there's there's not a lot of those types of openings. Um, So it's it's still competitive regardless of what's going on in the employment market. And then students need to sell themselves. I mean, I get these conversations about I apply for a job and they're hiring older, more Mm. senior people with a lot of experience. Then I talk to senior people and they say, I'm not getting jobs because the younger people are getting it because they work cheaper and they know all this technology stuff. Yep. And I want to go with that attitude. Neither one of you are going to get the jobs. And you so let's just let go attitude. of that crutch and let's start working on the basics and really probably networking and resumes. Mm-hmm. And today let's talk about resumes. Sure. sure. And, and again, to your point, attitude really is that cliche, right? Attitude is everything. The resume just gets your foot in the door, right? The resume is what's going to get you the interview. Once you're sitting in front of that, that hiring manager, it's your attitude and your communication skills that are going to get you over the line. So yep. your point about younger workers, older workers, doesn't matter. Write an effective resume, get in front of the hiring manager, and then let your personality shine and your ability to sell your experience and your fit to that organization. And that part is attitude, but we could do a whole nother, yep. that's a whole nother yep. segment. So back to resumes, the, uh, the, the big three things that we look for and kind of the big things that we see uh, people falling down in, in terms of putting forward the resumes, um, would be firstly just regurgitating their job description, 
right? Your resume really is an important living document that tells your story as a professional as you have evolved through each stage of your career. It is not a regurgitation of every job you've had with every date of your life, right? What we're interested in is not, not in what were your responsibilities because if you just regurgitate the job description on your resume, the person who had that job before you and the next three people who have that job after you could say the exact same thing, right? There's, there's nothing unique yeah, about the job description. the accounting department. Right, yeah. right. Don't tell me what you were tasked to do. Tell me how you had impact. And so scrap the job description. I mean, obviously you want to have it in mind as you're writing your resume, but what you want to do is tell your story through your accomplishments. So don't just say, I was responsible for this, I was responsible for that. You want to show where you drove change. And change is usually quantifiable, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to have impact. So tell your story through your accomplishments. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I'm kind of going to lay the landscape out. Um, Data. Make it data rich. Facts, figures, numbers. You want to show the reader that, hey, I'm not just telling you I'm good. I'm showing you how good I am. And I've got the facts to back it up. Cut telecommunications costs by 22.2%, saving $180,000, right? Yep, yep. Because yeah. you just do percents, we don't know. If you just do dollar amounts, we don't know if that was huge or it should have been half a million dollars, right? So both of those paint a mm. picture. Wow, that was really good. And you can game it a little bit, right? If the absolute dollar value change is not so impressive, use the percentage, right? So going from $4 to $5 doesn't sound that impressive, but going, you know, increasing by 25%, that sounds a lot more impressive. Mm-hmm. So uh, figure out what's going to be more impactful in terms of how you pitch the data. Um, but with regards to numbers, organizations, no matter if it's for-profit, not-for-profit, public sector, they only care about three value drivers. And you and I have talked about this uh, time and again, right? Yeah. So let's say Phil's applying for a job with, with my client. My client's looking at that resume saying, how is Phil going to make me money? How is he going to save me money, i.e. help me operate more efficiently? And how is he going to fit in? What's the cultural alignment? So make us money, save us money, and fit in around here. Those are really, when you boil it down to its most simple essence, those are the only three things that matter to any organization. So when you think about what content do I put on my resume and how do I frame that content, think of it in those three simple terms. And if it doesn't fit with one of those three, leave it out. And and be blatant about that. I mean, I, I we encourage people when you look at it, go, now, what message did you give the person reading this resume about how you're going to increase sales mm-hmm. or decrease costs? Yep. And if I have to, as a reader, assume it's in there or insinuate it's in there, then you missed the ball. I, I would say, hit me over the head with mm-hmm. what you've accomplished and what it means to me as the employer. Mm-hmm. Whether the employer knows it or not, what they're looking for when they're reading that resume, dollar signs and percentage symbols and numbers. And those three things, again, look at a guy like me who has to read hundreds, or sometimes hundreds of resumes a day, right? If folks like me are only looking at letters all day long, right, your brain sort of, it just, you just skim right over it, right? Next, next, next. If you put forward a resume that's really tightly written and punchy with lots of facts and figures, those numbers, as, as the eyeball is skimming the line of text, those numbers act like little speed bumps, Right, and and the person actually has to slow down and absorb what you're putting on the page because you're, you're breaking getting up the, the inner sights of a HR recruiter here, right? <laughs> Jeez, let's well, get into okay, their we brains. We just outed ourselves on that. Huh? Yeah, but but it really does force the reader to slow down and absorb what you're putting on the page and know that your competition is not doing this. 
They're just regurgitating the job description and using text, 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 text. They're not backing up with facts and figures. And so that's the, you know, think of the, the, the poor HR manager at 4.59 on a Friday afternoon and they've read 400 resumes the day before. If your resume is the one coming in at 4.59, you've got to find a way to make it sticky and force yeah. them to really slow down and read and absorb what you're putting on yeah. that page. Let's talk about keyword searches when you finish with your, your three because that's so important nowadays with automation. Mm-hmm. So, again, I really want to talk about really, inf- I mean, talk about you know, beating this one over the head, the, the accomplishments part. Don't regurgitate the job description. Tell your story through how you had impact in each position. So, for instance, a real easy example is sales. So instead of saying I was in charge of new business development, you would say something like brought in four new clients generating $6 million in new revenue within year one. I've just, just dropped three numbers in that bullet. And I've said the exact same thing, I was in charge of sales, but instead of just saying it from the job description perspective, I've said it from the perspective of an accomplishment sure. with facts and figures. And so that's how you recast every single bullet point on the resume. And use bullet points. That's another huge mistake we see is people still will just put paragraph form blocks of text on their resume for each position. And you're not writing a novel, and when you put down a big block of text, the reader is instantly turned off. Right, because they look at this thing and think, okay, it's not even, it's not even in bite-sized pieces for me. I'm going to have to parse that thing up to pull out the facts and figures. So yeah. before they even start reading it, they're turned off. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Make it really aesthetically pleasing. Make them want to read it, and they're going to want to read it if there's a nice use of white space. There's not too much crammed on there, but they can see that the information is in little nice chunks. And no more than two pages. Oh no. I'm more is more, and that's another thing that um, the old way of thinking was, and it makes me cringe every time I hear this, resume cannot be more than one to two pages, right? Because most of the time your resume is getting sent in soft copy anyway. So length isn't as important, right? Because you're not sending sheets of paper through the mail. But for, especially for a senior executive, if you've got 20 plus years in the workforce, how can you possibly distill your entire career down to two pages and share any meaningful level of detail, right? If we're looking for something that's really rich in terms of accomplishments, facts, and figures, and you've had a 20-plus year career, there's no way you're going to get that on two pages. So two pages, go to three. If you're on three, you may as well go to four. Because if the resume is really well written and there's lots of good content in there, the reader's going to want to keep going. But you don't want fluff, You don't want fluff. So if it's got to go to three, there better be a reason for it. Sure. Because what, what do you do to somebody who's been in the workforce 35 years? And let's say the first 15 were in real estate, mm-hmm. right? They sold residential real estate. And it's completely irrelevant to the CFO job they're applying for now. Mm-hmm. We certainly don't want to read a lot about real estate because I don't care about that, right? We can condense that with sold residential real estate for 20 years and grew the business from X to Y and won three awards for doing so-and-so. Now let's get to the CFO stuff, because that's the stuff I care about. Well, so to your example, though, that's a good one. CFO, they care about money. Real estate, they care about transactions, i.e., they care about money, right? So you can still take that real estate job, make me money, save me money, fit in around here, because those qualities are still going to apply equally as much for the CFO role. So look at the CFO job. What does a CFO job entail, right? It's it's financing, it's tracking revenues, it's optimizing cash flows and business operations. You can probably, if you are a successful real estate agent, you can probably go back and look at your real estate practice and find ways in which you did that. 
in the very, very least, you can still talk about revenue, you can talk about savings, you can talk about growth. Those sorts of things will be equally as impressive for the, the CFO type position. And you can couch it in terms that make it more relatable. But you're right. I mean, if you, if you start talking about, oh, I did you know, 84 home listings and, and don't put it in terms that are more financial oriented, then it's not going to yeah. be as relevant. If, if you're going to put it on there, make it relevant to the conversation. Yes, what, indeed. What indeed. I say to people. But like you said, no fluff. And you don't have to go to three to four pages. But if you've got a lot of good content, don't stop it too. So, Trevor, let's go to the opposite side. We've talked about if you've got a lot of years in the market, you might go longer than two pages if it's relevant. I'm sitting in my dorm room right now going, I've only had summer jobs. I've only had an internships. I, I, how do I fill one page with my work experience? Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. What do sure. you recommend to young people? Sure. And the other part we haven't talked about yet that most people forget to do is what I call an introductory blurb. So when you're laying out the resume, so you start with company name, and then most people just launch right into their bullet points. One, two, three, four, five. This is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did. They don't actually stop to think, hmm, does the reader even know what organization yeah. this is? What does ABC company do? Even Never if, heard of them. Even if you work for an incredibly well-known Fortune 500 company like Qualcomm or Sempra or something like that that everyone in San Diego knows, most people probably still don't appreciate how big those companies are, just how impressive they are, and what they do. Or what department you worked in when it's an international company, right? You need to tell the reader, this is where I worked, and this is why you should care that I worked there. Bragging about the organization inadvertently is a way to make yourself look good without bragging about yourself. So list two or three sentences under the, so you've got organization title, the next will be a very short little, and I'll use paragraph, two, three lines max, describing what this organization is and what they do. And make it impressive that they um, uh, have a patent portfolio of X, that they are the leader, global leader in such and such technologies, they have operations in so many countries, so that when the reader then gets the bullet points, the context has already been set out. I know what this organization does, so now I know how your accomplishments fit in there. If I don't know what this company does and I'm interviewing you, yeah. we're going to waste a lot of time because you're going to have to tell, well, tell me what this organization does. And or if I'm at home reading these things, I'm not going to take the time to Google out of curiosity of what ABC does. So it's easy to sort of, okay, keep going. Maybe the next one will catch my attention. And so. if you have to tell them what the company does, you're taking the focus off of you, and now it's on the company. You want that conversation because if you're in an interview, you've got 30 to 45 minutes to make an impression. Yeah. You want every minute of that interview about you not explaining the story of the organization. So take care of that up front. So let's, let's stay with the, the potential one-pager of a 21-year-old that's just getting out of school. What, how do they make themselves stand out when they haven't had all that much experience to brag about? Mm-hmm. So you can do, at the top, you can do a skills summary section and make it hard skills. Don't put team player, customer service attitude. Make them hard skills. And if you really think about all your summer jobs or volunteer experience, there are things that you can put in there, such as um, uh, you probably did some sort of um, tracking or reporting of something, right? I mean, every organization has outputs. You can talk about um, uh, relevant coursework as a section as well. So if you've taken, and this is, I'll go back, so the liberal arts education, which I'm a big fan of, which is great, 
but make sure you take some business classes because chances are if you study philosophy or art history or something like that, which is phenomenal uh, because you're really you know, learning how to communicate and think and it's really shaping your lens through which you're going to view the world, but make sure you take some business courses because chances are when you graduate you're going to be actually working in a business. And so you need to have a basics of accounting, a basic understanding of finance, of operations, of um, business law. So make sure you pepper in that, uh, those electives into your undergraduate degree as you go along. And that's what you can draw on on the resume. Because if I'm a reader and I see um, a major that says art history, and I'm thinking, well, this is an electronics company. How do I actually make that yeah. connection? Spell it out for me with the relevant courses that you've I've taken. I've got to... I have to make the connection to you as the interviewer. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to make it yourself, right. or you're going you're to move on. Great point average. A couple of years ago, I got one, and the, the GP in the major was 2.2. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> I wouldn't put that on my resume. If it was 4.2, yeah. maybe so. But yeah. I wanted to catch that guy and go, take that off. And here's you probably have some other talents, but grades is not one of them. <laughs> well, so what do you think about grades, GPs, on first resumes for students? Leave it off. Really? Right? Okay. Because a Tell lot of times why. the reader's not going to understand how difficult different majors are. A 2.2 in biochem is probably a lot more impressive than a 2.2 in English. I thought a 2.2 was pretty impressive on my <laughs> It's passing, on right? On my grade, yeah, I thought, you It's know. passing. Now, when you put a GPA on there, it makes you look even younger. Because then you're kind of talking about, well, my teachers gave me these sorts of grades and that sort of thing, right? Unless they ask, there's really no reason. If you got the degree, that's all that matters. I've never, in the 19-plus years I've been recruiting, I've never actually looked at someone's resume, looked at their degree, and then said, oh, well, what was your actual GPA in your major and then in yeah. the rest of you know. It's, once you get the degree, that's all that really matters. Um, now, study hard and get good grades. That's right. Okay, but don't put them on your resume. And the reason why GPA matters is because if you want to go back to grad school, that's going to be very important for getting into grad school. So if you're in undergrad, you know, by all means, work your you-know-what off because you're paying good money for that degree, and you want to make sure you, you squeeze all the knowledge and value out of that degree you can. And having a strong GPA, even though you're not going to put it on your resume and employers probably aren't going to ask, unless it's something like um, investment banks in Wall Street where they have incoming classes, they need some way, when they're hiring many, many freshmen, or, or well, freshman bankers, right? When they're hiring many graduates out of the same pool, they may use GPA as a differentiator. But unless you're applying to some organization that's recruiting a hundred of your peers on campus every year, yeah. then the GPA is not going to be nearly as relevant. And if they ask, you can always provide that. And probably it's on the application. If, it, if they want to yes. know the GPA up front, they You'll may even ask for elsewhere. a class yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah. report. But a strong GPA will give you options later on when you want to go back to grad school because graduate programs do look at GPA. Okay. In job one, I talk about objectives on resumes. Are you in favor of, of objectives on the beginning of the resume? This is the very top of the resume. It says the objective is seeking a job in so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Half of us love it, half of us hate it. Where are you on that? I'm a hater. Hater. <laughs> okay, why are you a hater? And, and, then, I'll just, and I, then I'm going to take the lover role. I say that because most of the time it's misused. In theory, I think object, an objective statement is good because it tells the reader this is who I am and this is what I'm going for. 
But nine times out of ten, the average person writing the average resume doesn't have it laser focused. And most objective statements start with something like, I'm looking for a challenging career with a progressive organization with lots of growth. And Who those isn't? are literally Who the isn't? words that are on 50% of resumes. And that's why I say yeah. leave the objective statement off because too many people get pulled into writing something super vague and untargeted. And what that tells the reader or the hiring manager is this person doesn't know what they want. Well, and light bulb coming on. I don't care what you want. I don't care that you want a challenging with growth for you in a dynamic. This is about me. I'm hiring people. Let's get back to save me money or increase sales. So telling me what you want mm-hmm. isn't what it's yeah. about. Now, the flip of this is you read the job description, looking for somebody with an engineering degree with marketing skills to develop the South American market for our telecommunications company, right? Let's say that's the job description. So if in the objective, coincidentally, seeking a job using my bilingual Spanish and, and having lived in South America for four years with a degree in engineering so that the reader goes, oh my gosh, this person has read the job description and has told me exactly how they fit that job description. Now, don't quote it exactly because that looks a little presentable. Mm-hmm. But if you have that ability to, I meet this really well, it reinforces in case the cover letter gets separated. And some people, some of us read the cover letter, and if we're interested, read the resume. Some of us read the resume, and if we're interested, go the cover letter. But I tell people, if your skill set really matches that job description well, then tell me right up front about that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to keep reading, because now you told me about the Spanish, you've had experience living in South America, you have an engineering degree, and you like marketing. Oh, my God, I'm, who, what fool wouldn't read on, Right. It's but much, not the vague, what's, it's all about me, what I'm looking for is, is a kiss of death. It's much safer to write an objective statement when you actually have a position that you're using as your objective. Yes. Oh, clearly. With your utility resume or what I call your plain vanilla resume, the one that you customize for each job you apply for, don't have an objective statement on there because you don't know which job you're going to be applying for. Well, let's talk about customizing resumes for every job. Yeah. Right. Thank heavens for computers. But you need that utility resume because you may be at a networking event. Someone may say, hey, my friend is starting a new company. They're going to be hiring. Send us your resume. Right. So there's, there's a lot of applications where it's not targeted yeah. because the job is not yet defined or it's for networking one. purposes. Yeah. Right. And they just want to know who are you, where you've been, what kind of you know, degree do you have, uh, and what's been your, your work experience to date. And that's totally fine. So the utility resume absolutely should not have an objective statement on there because you don't know where that utility resume is going. Again, it's more sort of a door opener to a conversation as opposed to a tool for a specific job. Let's talk a little more about that first resume for students coming out of, out of school that think, oh my gosh, I haven't done anything. What, what am I going to put on this team? Fill a, fill a half a page. I always use the example of Eagle Scouts. But I tell people of every age, if you've got those awards, you put them on your resume somewhere because you started something when you were very young as a Boy Scout, for example, and you followed it through to the very end, to the highest level. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small percent of Boy Scouts that do that. And you did it during the most difficult times of your life, which is junior high and high school when you're distracted by a lot of things. So it screams to me as the interviewer, you start a project and you finish a project and you have a major accomplishment to check on that. 
Volunteer work is very important. Um, internships, job shadowing, right? Tell us more about what students need to do to fill their resume with things that mm-hmm. get attention from employers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be paid work experience. You can still cast it as work experience. Whether it's paid or not, you're still using and developing skills. And before I forget, one thing you mentioned that I think is definitely worth including is if you worked through college. Yes, absolutely. If you had to put yourself through school, put that on there, right? Because while the other kids were out partying or doing whatever, you were heading off to you know, out, you know, 20 more hours of work per week. So I would make mention of worked X number of hours um, through school or Paid something for, like that. Again, metrics. Measurable. Self-funded. Paid for 20% of my education, worked 40 hours while going to school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is very it shows character very and it shows grit. impressive, yeah. yeah, yeah. But back to your question about how do I fill a resume if I have very very little work experience? All those things you mentioned, volunteer things, community engagement things, stuff you do on campus, all of that content goes on your resume and it can be cast in a way that is relevant to employers when you look at it from a skills perspective. So let's take um, let's take the Eagle Scout example, right? So you can put that on the resume. And talk about the organization, right? Put a little blurb about Boy Scouts of America that, you know, it's got 150 years of history, uh, so many hundreds of thousands of scouts, et cetera, et cetera. And then bullet point out what you did to become Eagle Scout or what you did that was impressive um, along the way. And that only half of 1% of scouts. Quantify it, right? Numbers, numbers, numbers. Absolutely. And the other thing is sports. Talk a little bit about what you've accomplished Mm -hmm. in sports and Mm -hmm. how you can play that up as a leader. Yep, and so you can put that under the heading of community engagement or volunteer work or anything like that and then list that out so that you're being upfront and honest that, you know, this was not paid work experience, but I'm going to write it up as if it was so that I can showcase the same skills that I was using. Yeah, and it really shows leadership, number one, that you participate in sports, but especially if you were captain of the tennis team or chaired this thing or intramural league or started a club. Impress me that you've, you've taken initiative at a young age to accomplish a lot of things to get where you are, because that's a great foundation for me to hire this applicant mm-hmm. if they've wowed me with what they've done in their first 22 years. Employers are looking for students who didn't just show up, take the test, pass, and leave campus, right? Show that you did a lot more. You brought your full self. You got engaged. You got involved. And that you really maximized your education and your time on campus, right? Don't just, don't just be the person who skates by doing the bare minimum to graduate. Show that you took initiative and really got involved on campus and did stuff. And it might be in the arts and music also. Just show us where you've accomplished things. And Volunteering, focused clubs. And, and, and helped on that. What are we missing? What else do our students and our viewers need to hear about resumes? So the, the basics then, if we, we've kind of been talking about content and the bigger picture media stuff, but also format can really trip people up too because you can have the most amazing content but if it's sloppy or not laid out well you're going to lose major points again we want to make it enticing for the reader to want to dive in and and start um, really getting to know your background and your experience so fonts matter font size matters font style matters um, don't use something really old school like Times New Roman 12, right? I mean, that, it just looks stodgy and dated. It's also a very inefficient type of font in terms of space because let's say if you are the seasoned executive and you are looking at three to four pages, you want to make sure you use a font that's 
uh, appealing and easy to read, but that's going to allow you to conserve on space. So the one I like is Calibri, C-A-L-I-B-R-I, in an 11-size font, which is a pretty <laughs> decent size. could we be size. a little more specific, yeah. the font and the size <laughs> of the font? Well, there's nothing more annoying than getting an eight-point font on a resume because someone's trying to squeeze it onto one or two pages, and it looks like microfiche, right? No. But then again, yeah. someone uses 12 or 14-point font, and it's it it also looks equally as unprofessional. You're trying so, to fill the place. Yeah, yeah, these little tiny things matter. Again, use bullet points. Make good use of white space. Let's talk about. Um, I alluded to uh, cover letters. Tell Ooh. us what you think about. Whoa. <laughs> we can do a whole. This, yep. this could be a whole other segment, right? On the objective statement, lover, hater, cover letter, lover, hater. How I heard about the job. Yep. Yep. So my view is from the recruiter's perspective. Should every resume have a cover letter? No. Okay. That's why we have email, right? So think of it from the recruiter's perspective, because whether you're applying to Qualcomm or going through an agency, uh, or talking to a, a search firm like ours. The person who's going to be, at some point along that chain, someone's going to be reading your resume who is a gatekeeper. That makes the go, no go, this person gets on. And it might be really low level or it might be high level. So know the gatekeeper is not the vice president of HR at Qualcomm. Yeah, and sometimes it's the person you would not think is the gatekeeper, right? But that gatekeeper probably has to read hundreds of resumes. So again, let's look at the the numbers for, for our firm, right? So three to 500 resumes, per engagement, and we've got between five and ten engagements going at any one time. If I have to read 500-plus resumes and every person includes a cover letter, I've now just doubled the amount of documents, and that's just on one engagement, right? It's a time thing, but also the cover letter just becomes so redundant with the email. The cover letter literally was designed back in, you know, uh, hard copy uh, snail mail days. It covered the resume, right? It covered the resume, went in the envelope. (laughs) So that when the reader opened it, the, the cover came off and the letter introduced, this is the resume, this is why you are receiving it, this is who I am so that the resume made sense. And they could then say, oh, okay, now I understand why this person is contacting me. Now I'll read the resume. That's what your email does. So why would you take the, pretty much the same content that's going to go in the body of that email, put it in a separate Word doc, and attach that with the resume, right? I hate reading cover letters. It's, uh, candidates hate writing them even more. I mean, because it's, it's such a challenge to take what's a generic form letter and how do I make it seem customized to each job I'm applying for. It's not. It's the same content repackaged again and again and again. But it's a, it's a real pain. So use the body of your email as your cover letter and make sure it's written really, really well. It doesn't have to be this super long, massive document. But the email introduces who you are, why you're contacting them, who you want to talk to, and what next steps you're looking for. So- Either cover those points in an intro email saying attached is my resume or actually formalize it and say attached is my cover letter and email. But we got to get those points you made in there somewhere because otherwise, how did you hear about this job? Do you know anybody in this company? It's just a piece of paper Mm -hmm. to me. If you can personalize it to my company or my department, my daughter-in-law works there or something that that relates you to the company you're going to be way ahead of that yeah and i would say get that in the body of the email because if the body of the email isn't catchy they're not going to open either attachment so So maybe the email the intro email is taking the place of the the cover letter in your exactly and and the the intro email cannot be underestimated because that is where you are showing your communication skills it has to be treated like a cover letter with that level of seriousness 
but it's not a generic form letter. Because if, the, if that email isn't spot on, I'm not even going to open the, the resume. So, Trevor, do you think when you go through these and you're, you see someone of interest, do you cover, do you attach the intro to the resume? Or do you just shoot the resume over alone if you're going to the department or the customer? Where, it, where, does, that, where does that either cover letter yep. or attachment? 99% of the time, it's just the resume. Just the resume. Right? Okay. Because the less stuff we have to send along, the better, right? Because people are busy. People don't have time to read pages and pages and pages of stuff. The resume should be able to stand on its own, right? It's punchy enough. The cover letter, i.e. the email, got you. It did its job. It got you past me, right? And now my job is to get you past the next gatekeeper and the next gatekeeper. So that cover letter doesn't need to keep following you. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to adamantly disagree with me, and you know there's mm-hmm. many ways to skin a cat. But from the mechanics of recruiting, the cover letters, it, it's just more stuff we have to deal with. And the, the other thing is that we want to see communication skills. The email can do that. One last thing. The big black hole that called the database that resumes go into, and then we do keyword searches. So let's spend a little time on important words. When you look at a job description, words that you need to make sure on your resume in case it is computer system software that's picking resumes. Mm-hmm. So you take the job description, you take your resume, and you go through the job description, and you just circle all the important terms, right? The keywords, key skills, key competencies. Make sure those are reflected in your resume and make sure they're worded, if not exactly the same, very similarly. Because you want to make it as easy as possible for whoever's reading this document to make the connection between that job description and your resume. It doesn't take a ton of work. It should be, and, and it gets easier and easier every time you do it. So you take your utility resume, customize it to the terms in that, um, in that job description, perhaps come up with a really punchy objective statement that's customized to that job description, mm-hmm. and you're off and running. Yeah, and, and I tell people, get on the other side of the desk. Here's the job description. If I were recruiting for this, I would want the word electrical engineer in it. I would want MBA in it. I would want um, specific classes they had taken. And make sure those are in your resume somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know? This automatic search is, goes into a database, and a computer, the, the recruiter says, okay, I want these five words in the resumes. goes into the database. Every resume that has those five words pops to the top. The next group that has four of the words, then three of the words. And then that's how a lot of recruiters start, is that keyword search. So learn about keyword search and know what words to put into your resume. The last thing is personal interests. Mm -hmm. This is another plus and minus. One of the things about a resume, you get 50 in front of you that can all look pretty dry. At the bottom, if you put personal interests, I happen to play racquetball. My staff knows any apple, job applicant that plays racquetball, bring it in because the boss likes that <laughs> sport, right? could be bowling, it could be archery, it could be baseball. Some people say, no, it's unprofessional, I don't care about your personal life. Where are you on that? I'm okay with it if it's done well. Again, this is one of those things that can trip you up big time. Don't put it on there if it's not a true passion or a true hobby of yours because let's say I put racquetball on there. I've played racquetball three times in my entire life. But I've played, so in theory, I could put racquetball on my resume. He's a snotty squash player and looks <laughs> down on racquetball, which is a problem here in this interview. 
but let's say I get the racquetball interview, right? Okay. I walk in and I sit down with you, and the personal skills and the, the personal interest section is usually the very last part of your resume. Mm-hmm. It's the last thing that the person read, it's, so it's the first thing on their mind when they ask the first question, right? It's also a nice little icebreaker. You can make some small talk around hobbies and stuff before right. you launch into a more career-oriented conversation. If I get stuck with a guy like you, I've played racquetball three times in my life. I put it on my resume, and all of a sudden, you want to start having this whole conversation about racquetball and you know the new materials going into the new rackets and uh, court size and all the you know getting really technical. I'm going to look pretty silly and way out of my depth really quickly. So don't put it, the 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 litmus test that I tell candidates. Don't put it on your resume if it's not a subject area that you're not comfortable having a one-hour detailed conversation about. Because if I question your, your honesty and racquetball, all at once I question your experience on the metrics, everything on your resume. Just looks fake, and you right? got tripped up. Two things. One, under personals, don't put boring things. Oof, reading. Like, read, <laughs> like to Movies. read, knit. And uh, something. I was like, oh my God, this is the most boring person in the world. I'm not, yeah. I don't care about this. You may as well put breathing, sleeping, and eating. Right? I'm, <laughs> I'm moving forward. You know, I'm not looking at that one. But I also had one that was going to be of interest. It was knife throwing. And I thought, okay, that's just weird. If this person is telling me he likes to be a, he's a knife thrower, yeah. there's lots, lots of levels I'm not And they might bring be an international champion, right? But it's still a little off putting. Like, I wouldn't put taxidermy on my resume. Yeah. <laughs> Another. Um, <laughs> Now Sorry. that said, so, though, but be of interest, you know, right? World travel, um, following up on, on on you know Renaissance art or something that says, oh wow, it's this person's more than a CPA. He's got he or she has interest outside of the outside of that that makes him a more rounded person. Makes you human and a good. It's a good icebreaker. Even if the reader knows nothing about Renaissance art, it's something interesting to talk about. Now, back to the more sort of common ones. We were joking about reading and movies and things like that. That's okay if those really are your hobbies and passions. You can show that you're an actual expert in those areas. So don't just put movies. Put indie films and name a few of yeah. your, your favorite directors. Or if it's reading, put you know, what genres of literature are you really um, passionate about. If you can have a detailed conversation for over an hour about movies or cooking. Sometimes people put cooking. But maybe you, it really is, you know, maybe it really, you know, maybe you throw massive dinner parties and you do charity events and cook off exotic and that sort cooking of thing. Or, or follow Love World Travel yeah. to learn about exotic styles of cooking. Yep. I mean, it makes you a more interesting person. Right. But yeah, don't put that in there. Make put, sure it's an interest. If you're going to do it, make sure it makes you interesting. It doesn't make you weird or boring. Right. Or leave it off. Right. Right? So again, and that's like sort of a cooking. Sort of you put Szechuan, um, Japanese, and you know some other. Show that you really know what you're talking about, and you're kind of qualified to have a conversation on those areas. So the issue is, you've got to put a resume together. You want to highlight yourself where you are. You want to highlight on the resume the relevant experience and skills you have to the current job. If you've been in the market a while and you were in another field and it was irrelevant, then summarize those at the bottom and don't take up a lot of room on those. And find a way to make it relevant. Really, I care about the last 10 years, and in some jobs, the last five years with softwares and technology. That's what I want to hear about. Especially if you've been in the market for a while, be able to sell to me. You updated yourself. You've stayed current. You're not a CPA from 30 years ago. Right? You've taken new classes and new tax laws and, and really refreshed yourself. 
And this is the time to sell yourself. Brag up to the point of exaggerating, right? Highlight everything you've done because you need to get the attention and the interest of people like us who, as Trevor said, are reading up to hundreds of resumes a day and trying to pick three they want to interview for that job position. Trevor, thank you. It's a pleasure working with you today on on this show. And best of luck with Blair Search Partners. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks.